as I reflect back, what has made many of us successful is being comfortable taking risk, being prepared for any eventuality. Like I grew up in a small town in India, and you know, on those tough days, even till today, I'm like, I can survive the rest of my life with $20,000, $30,000 in my pocket. I really don't need more money than that to survive. And that kind of confidence that gives is just amazing. Like, there's nothing to worry about, right? So then let's just do what we believe in doing, and the rest will follow. From Foundation Capital, this is B2B a CEO, a podcast about the startup journey, about going from idea to IPO, and growing from a founder into a CEO. On each episode, I speak with notable CEOs and founders and get their stories about what it took to build a company of scale and become a leader in the enterprise. I'm Ashu Garg, a general partner at Foundation Capital. This episode is near and dear to me for a couple of reasons. First, my guest is my very good friend, Ashu Garg. What a great name. Ashu, who also goes by Ashutosh, is the founder and CEO of Eightfold, an AI-powered talent acquisition and management platform. I'm an early investor and board member in the company. In this conversation, Ashu and I trace Eightfold's not always easy path from altruistic mission to Silicon Valley unicorn. We spend much of the discussion on how to hire the best people. And I get Ashu to share everything he wished he knew at the beginning of his startup journey. Well, Ashu, it's good to have you here today at the B2B CEO podcast. Thank you. Super excited to join you. So, you know, wind back to the early days. I mean, I remember you and I walking up and down Embarcadero and you were talking about, you know, all kinds of ideas, which had nothing to do with what Eightfold does today. I remember ideas in healthcare, but you always had this idea that you wanted to do something that was bigger than yourself and that there was, there had to be a societal mission to it. So just rewind to those days and how you looked at a variety of ideas and what led you to, you know, start it for. I think roughly it goes back to 2014, started thinking what's next for me. And I mean, I believe that we are just so fortunate as individuals in the heart of Silicon Valley the place, the land full of all the opportunities, access in a reasonably good physical health, mental health, reasonably financially, good. then well, that we just owe it to ourselves to do something good for our society. So the very first thing that came to my mind was education. We spent a few months thinking about it and at some level realized that it's just too hard. So decided to focus on healthcare. And I spent almost a year and a half reading about healthcare, bought numerous books, studied, and actually left my previous enterprise, Bloomreach, to start something in the healthcare space. And yeah. those walks were part of that, right? Yeah. And few things happened. I mean, two of us have known each other. For a long time. go back, 2008, 2007, right? And while you had all the confidence, I could never sense your confidence in that idea. Or you were always like, no, but tell me more. I'm just not convinced yet, right? That was one part. The second part was, as I was talking to various doctors, hospitals, medical systems, understanding the challenges they are facing. And third is truly really the primary buyer of healthcare systems, actually the HR benefits department. So I was talking to a number of HR leaders in the industry. 
And as I was going through all that, what I realized is the fundamental thing in our society is actually employment. Little bit even more so than education and healthcare. Absolutely. And second is, interestingly, while education and healthcare were interesting, was not my core forte. Being an entrepreneur, being a hiring manager, being a candidate, and more importantly, being an AI data person, it felt like that was squirrel in my wheelhouse. And there was this amazing founder product market fit. So that just became an obvious choice that this is my calling. Let me work on this thing. And when you started, you know, and you look back to sort of the initial idea, tell us a little bit what you thought the entry point would be in the market and how that evolved. Talk about sort of the first six, 12 months. Actually, I've gone back, thought about it, and like you start up this journey. Mm -hmm. You go through a number of evolution of your idea. And if you really go back to the very original idea, the idea that you're working on today is largely same as that very original mm -hmm. idea. So our basic idea was there are only so many people in the world. If we can learn about each and every person, if we can learn about jobs, we can redefine how people think of jobs, careers. Mm -hmm. We can match the two. We can fundamentally change everything. Then, of course, as we embarked on raise the money, and thank you for being part of the seed round. Thank you for having round. me part of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes COR, you just want to do things quickly. So we said, can we do something simple and work on it? And started by looking at the problem of just talent acquisition within that the sourcing problem. That was late 2016. Got initial set of customers. So that was our initial thing. Yep. But then 2017 was a year of a lot of changes and transformation. Few very interesting things happened. One is got our first enterprise deal with a company out of India, Tata Communications. And second is we also a little bit pivoted to an agency model, building a marketplace of recruiting agencies yep. and applying the matching over there. So that instead of enterprises working with just one agency, they can work with everyone. And third is the business model around it. And I would say in hindsight, as I've reflected back over the last 10 years, the most important thing in any enterprise, a startup especially, is the business model that you have. How well aligned it is to what you want to achieve as a company, what your customers are looking for, the problem that you're solving, what is your area of strength, and so on. So we went through a number of changes, and it's say towards the end of 2017 that we went back to thinking of the platform. And three and a half years in, here we are. And the moment you did, I showed up with a term sheet. It just took you six months to sign it. <laughs> I wish I had negotiated the terms better, but... <laughs> we both do. But the fact that we're here today means we all got, we both got a deal we, we liked. Uh, so tell me a little bit, what was, it, what was it like in the early days when you were pitching to investors? You know, for most entrepreneurs, and most entrepreneurs are first-time entrepreneurs, and for most of them, the the process of the initial fundraising is really hard, and most entrepreneurs have stories of how they talk to 50, 100 VCs. Uh, your journey has been very different in fundraising. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. I think in my case, uh, yes, the journey was different because especially being a second-time founder, mm -hmm. had access to investors, and many of these investors knew me. And some of the learning that was coming out of my past startup and experiences played a big role over here. So being a tech founder, 
what was very interesting is that most investors were confident that technology is not going to be a challenge over here. Yeah. But actually in 2016, it was not clear if HR is a great market or not. Absolutely, yeah. And to, at some level, there was that hesitation. And one thing, so as a result, right, for me, the issue was what to focus on. Do I want to build a technology and go and prove to the investors that there is a technology it will work? Or do I want to go to the investors and prove it to them that there is a market? And my learning over the years has been the number one thing in any company is market. If you have a market, you can solve pretty much everything else. If you don't have a market, then good luck. Nothing matters. Nothing else matters, right? right. So it was almost a two-month exercise calling 50-plus potential customers, senior HR leaders, in collaboration with actually the investors. And that gave me the confidence that there's a market and gave investors the confidence that there's a market. And once we established that, take Lightspeed as our initial investor. And other thing is, you have to always be a little bit strategic about who you are raising the money from and how are you thinking about the financing. And I always say that it's never the last round. There are more rounds to come. Or Even now, can... more rounds to come. <laughs> so how are you thinking about all that stuff, right? Uh, if you look back in that first round, while I raised the primary money from Lightspeed, I had two angel investors come in. One, Ashugar from Foundation, who let the series be, and Deep Nishwa from SoftBank, who led Series E. Actually, that's amazing. Yeah. You, two of your angel investors come back and led rounds. I mean, I hadn't th even thought about that. That is a very unique story. And had you thought about that, that that might happen? Was that in the realm of possibility or, or not? It was. Uh, but it's more around also partnering with the people who will be with you for the long term. I would say it was more on those lines. Makes sense. Like you can't be just short-sighted that this is only about money. It's more around the partners in the journey. So now I'm coming back to, so, you know, 2017, end 2017, you know, you have figured out the platform model. You had figured out sort of what's the initial product. Uh, you had raised your, you know, we, we had just closed the Series B financing. Uh, since then, it's been, you know, it's only been four years and change. And you've grown probably give or take 100x in, in the last four years. I mean, that's a phenomenal growth uh, by any standards in the Valley uh, and very rare in an enterprise company. Talk a little bit about how you went from, okay, now I have market, I have technology, I've got to go build a go-to-market machine. How did that go? Actually, it all boils down to people. And one of the things that I've always focused on is having the right people. And I would say I'm very fortunate that in the early days, Varun joined me. Actually, if I go back, my very first job at IBM, my then hiring manager yeah. told me that, Ashu, I'm just looking for people who are better than me. And yes, it's a very common saying, and everyone says that, right? But it never dawns on you what that really means. Uh, and almost you almost take it as a cliche. But then as I've reflected on it, I realized that actually no truer thing has been said. So constantly keep looking for people who are better than you. And I would say two pivotal moments have been, one is bringing Varun on board, who has been my co-founder on the technology side, right? One of the best technologists I know. Yeah. And second is Kamal on the business side. And when you came in as an investor, right? And after that, Kamal joined us, right? And to me, having that 
three of us working together day in, day out has made all the difference. You know, you really, I mean, I think, as you said, everyone says hire people better than you, but I think very few people actually spend the time and the energy and, and make it programmatic in the way they do it. There's a constant pipeline. Is it something about how you organize your day? Because everyone says the same thing. I mean, I don't think any CEO would say is, I disagree. Is, is there when you're not very good, right? <laughs> <laughs> but very few CEOs do this. So that's actually one of the things I've always been so impressed by in this company, that you're always thinking two steps ahead about hiring. How do you make that happen? Any advice for other founders? Because every CEO I know struggles with this. And I mean, you're I mean, more than top decile, probably top. 2% on this dimension. I think you just have to believe in it. The number one thing you can do as a CEO is just have the right team. Everything else is secondary. Uh, like, what are the main jobs of CEO, right? The way I look at it, one, company is well capitalized. Second, you do have a long-term strategy and vision that you can rally everyone towards. And third, having the people that will help you achieve that vision. And you have to really believe in that. Today, I would say that almost 30% of my week goes in interviewing or meeting people who can be part of this journey. That's amazing. I am go I'm going to use that 30% number now. I'm going to set a quota for all my other CEOs. Let's talk a little bit more of you. Take a step back now and look at the journey so far. Think about it as a book with chapters. And you know, different chapters have different stories, different endings. What are some, what would the chapters of this book be so far? The very first chapter is when we started the company. Yeah. Um, at that time, experimenting, talent acquisition, building the initial sourcing thing. Second chapter is around experimenting with business models. Third chapter is laying the foundation of platform. Fourth chapter is around establishing public sector. And fifth chapter is scaling the machine. And now we are in that fifth chapter, I would say. And as you go back to these chapters, you know, I'm sure there are things that were a lot harder than you thought they might, would end up being. And some things were easier than you thought they might be. You know, what, what moments stand out as, oh my God, this was just so much harder than I expected. I think we, sometimes overthink certain things or, and sometimes we just don't spend enough time thinking about the problems, right? A simple example, getting the first five customers in the early days in 2016 turned out to be easier than I thought it will be, right? Uh, little bit changing the machinery as you're building that 2017 year turned out to be a lot harder. We thought you know, every company is paying 20% head enter fee, right? Mm -hmm. So it will be a no-brainer. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. But turn out to be a lot harder. And the thing is that when your incentives are not well aligned with your customer's incentive, every partner's incentive, then it will just become a very upper bet. But overall, I would say what we have been super excited about is the alignment we have seen both internally within the company, with the team, and our customers that has turned out to be much better than we originally anticipated. But journey's just beginning. Journey's just beginning, you know, so right. And as you look back, you know, there are some moments 
know, which were probably the lowlights of the journey in, in the last five years. Are there one or two that you, that come to mind that you were comfortable talking about? I think the beginning of the COVID was definitely one of the toughest moments. Actually, in hindsight, it was a very interesting, fascinating moment. Pre-COVID, I mean, when we are talking to whoever, right? Investors, uh, or employees or partners, right? Everyone would ask, it makes sense you are in the talent acquisition space, right? Market is hot, everyone is hiring. But what if there's a downturn? Yep. And being a second time entrepreneur, yes, I thought a lot about it. We always thought that, yes, our answer to that is talent management. So it will work out fine. We're not worried, right? But COVID happened. And you don't know the road. And now it was a time to prove it, right? So while we had the thesis, and I'm like, okay, I've been saying it, but I don't know whether that is indeed the case or not. Uh, second is at that time, it was, I mean, and then what happens is that there are these moments where everyone is questioning you and your own beliefs are being tested. Yeah. And can you stand against everyone and say that I really believe in it? Even though deep down you're super scared, you don't know whether you want to believe in yourself or not, right? And there's your path is just agree to what everyone else is saying and just move with that, right? So yes, those were very tough days in that sense where I, I would go every day and be like, maybe I'm wrong. Everyone else, whatever they are saying, I should just follow and go with that, right? But I'm glad things worked out fine. But that was definitely a hard, it was a tough period. And as you said, uh, I think for you, more than any company, you don't know. I mean, hiring is suddenly on freeze. Talent management sounds like an interesting idea, but who knows whether people are going to think about it. Uh, but if, in hindsight, you know, you, you were able to convert sort of what seemed like a challenge into an opportunity because the idea of a talent exchange and sort of really the platform that sort of, is, you know, serves society in some sense came out of those dark days. It did. Uh, it did. I think the, the good thing is many times people talk a lot about like how, why it is very important to have a good culture. But people don't talk about why it is very important to have a strong mission. And in our case, I think what has kept us going is that mission. It's like everything pretty much boils down to that. And every time we have faced any hardship, right, we have always just gone back to the mission. Whether it was COVID time, whether it is any financing time, but it's all about mission. We are here to solve employment. We are here to enable the right care of everyone in the world. So if that is our mission, we just, uh, I still remember in late March, early April, I and Kamal were talking that should we build a talent exchange or not? And there was every reason for us to say no. Not in our, I mean, we have not been doing it. It will be a new thing for us. There is no money involved in that. Team is already stretched thin. Should we be focused on selling our talent acquisition product or maybe talent management versus doing something new? But then if you're a mission-oriented company, we have to, have, yeah, we just can't moment. say no, we have to just you're, do it, right? Yeah. And people needed jobs and- People need jobs. You, you had the right, right, you were in the right place at the right time, despite the fact that there was no money, as you said, in, it, in the moment. In the moment. And focusing on that has just worked out well for us. As you look back now, you know, Obviously, that period is far behind you, and you know, in, in hindsight, you know, uh, the momentum of the company has continued despite COVID. Uh, when you look back at the last five plus years, 
What is the advice you have today for founders who are just getting started? Who have, you know, who have most of the journey ahead of them. Are there a couple of things you would say, hey, I wish I had done X or I wish I had done Y or based on my experience, uh, I would advise you do X or Y. Few things. One is focus on people. You can't do everything by yourself. For that matter, try to make yourself irrelevant as soon as you can. Second is the world is not a static. The world will change over the next five years, next 10 years. And are you going to be relevant as that world is changing? Are you going to lead that change or are you going to be left behind as that world changes? Think about that every moment and plan for it. Third, I mean, everything is transient. On those bad days, remember that this too shall pass. And yes, on those good days, take a moment to enjoy, but then just get back to what you were doing. That too, shall, that pass. too shall pass. Well said. As you go back in time to 2017, and you look at, you know, you had your first million in revenues, uh, you know, a handful of customers, you're now trying to find repeatability in the go-to-market model. Uh, and it seems like a lifetime ago, but what are some of the lessons learned? What advice would you have to founders who are at the same stage? They, they have some resonance with the market, but they don't yet have product market fit. And they're trying to go from that 1 million to 10 million journey and find product. Somewhere in that journey, you find product market fit. What advice do you have for those founders from your experience? I spend time with customers and multiple. Don't stop selling. Make sure that every day you're talking to customers, meeting them, cold calling them. Even now, at times I'm cold calling people, customers. You're always selling. Don't, don't stop that. And whether the meeting went well or the meeting didn't go well, it doesn't matter. The point is, what did you learn from that meeting? Come back, refine, improve. Never take it for granted. I think that's, to me, the, quite a few times the biggest mistake we make is if a customer says no, you're like, oh yeah, they, what makes it hard for me is that when I'm selling to a customer, I'm, I feel I'm being judged. So that makes it very emotional, personal for me. But that also forces me to constantly keep on improving, keep thinking about what I need to do differently. If a customer is saying that, how does your product do this or not? Will it solve this problem or not, right? Yes, there's one answer you can give it to them. But, but reflect back immediately on that. Do I need to change something in my product? Do I need to change something in my offering, in my pitch, to address that as a concern? So that next time, that concern does not come up. So just focus on customers. Now, come back to this point you made about sort of, you know, take a 10-year view. You know, very often people start with a small idea and the idea expands and grows over time. But that's not always the case. In your case, in many ways, the idea you what you're doing today has stayed remarkably constant uh, over the last five years. But what are some of the ways that the idea has changed or evolved? See, what happens is that it's, one is just the idea changes, but second is every day you're making a decision. And that can increase your market size, that can decrease your market size, that can increase opportunity or decrease the opportunity, yeah. right? And constantly you're thinking about those decisions, right? So for example, if you're going into public sector, actually, like, it's very interesting that most companies that serve public sector don't serve private sector, or the ones That's that true. serve public, private sector don't serve public sector, especially in HR space. 
So for us to go into public sector is a choice of that nature. Or in HR space, the very first obvious choice was go sell to other Bay Area tech startups, right? There's money, yeah. they're hiring, they have a need, just go solve for that, right? And for us, it was a conscious choice that now we are going to focus outside Bay Area. When there was an opportunity to sell to a company like Tata in India, in the very early days, right? It was a deliberate choice. No, let's go sell it to them, even though at, on that day, it felt like they are not in our target segment. So what we have been very deliberate about is every time we have made a choice, we have asked a question, is this going to be a distraction? Is this going to increase our market size? Is this going to decrease our market size? Is this going to be someone that we want to sell to a similar company in five years from now mm -hmm. or not? And I think those choices, in hindsight, we have made a, the right decision, I would say. And so series, in, it sounds like it's almost a series, it's accumulation of individual decisions that individually didn't necessarily radically change the trajectory, although some of them did, the choice to go into public sector, the choice to go after a more traditional, large, global 2000 enterprise, as against Silicon Valley. But these kind of things sort of build up on themselves. And it's the aggregation that makes the difference. That's our show for now. You can find past episodes and subscribe to future ones wherever you get your podcasts or at foundationcapital.com. And if you like the program, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others to find the show. B2B a CEO is a production of Foundation Capital, an early stage venture capital firm with over $3 billion in committed capital and 29 public companies to our name, including Netflix, Lending Club, TubeMogul, and Sunrun. At Foundation Capital, building companies is in our bones. I'm Ashu Garg, a general partner at Foundation Capital. I'm passionate about helping B2B entrepreneurs who are trying to solve hard problems. So if this podcast speaks to you, if you're a technical founder who's interested in scaling an enterprise startup into a massive business and scaling themselves into a true CEO, drop me a line.